You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry, and this is our 50th episode. 50 episodes. That is a huge milestone. Thanks so much to all of you who have been listening to the podcast, downloading it, sharing it with others. Thank you all so, so much. Also, thanks to our sponsors, to our donors. Just thanks to everyone for helping us to get to this achievement. Speaking of sponsors, Revision Path is sponsored by MailChimp. Uh, MailChimp is the premier email marketing solution for entrepreneurs and small businesses. MailChimp also supports the creative community, so show your support by signing up for a free account. Head on over to MailChimp.com and get started today. Make sure you stick around until the very end of this week's episode because I'm making a big announcement as well as announcing the winner of our 50th interview review contest. Now this week's interview rounds out LGBT History Month. I had the opportunity to talk with Angelica Ross, CEO and Executive Director of TransTech Social Enterprises. Here we go. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Angelica Ross, and I am the CEO and Executive Director of TransTech Social Enterprises. Basically, we are a apprenticeship program, a training academy and apprenticeship program that has a focus on basically reviving the value, the workplace value in the trans community by teaching tech skills that basically help trans people who normally face a lot of discrimination, harassment, and violence on the job. It allows them to pursue another avenue and another option where they can log on online and work and they can not worry about what people think about their voice or about how they look, they can actually focus on their skills and focus on being valued for what they actually can contribute to a workplace. And now Transsex Social Enterprises, I think you sort of mentioned this before we started recording, is that it's a it's kind of a hybrid model of a for-profit and a non-profit. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to tell you about that because I love clarifying this because I get a lot of questions from people that are like, why did you make this a nonprofit? Why didn't you just make this a for-profit? And, you know, when it comes to teaching people, we know how America already values education and the education system. So, you know, when it comes to teaching an underserved population and a population that majority of society has sort of tossed aside, you're not going to find a lot of investors or people that are invested in something that doesn't have an ROI or return on investment in real dollars, especially. So, you know, the time that we spend with these apprentices, teaching them what we want them to know, teaching them the basics of Microsoft Office and teaching them the basics of business writing and communication before we even get to any kind of advanced skills, web design or graphic design or coding or anything, we get to the basics and we're spending this time. But during this time, we're not making money off of this activity. And so Mm -hmm. there needs to be this side of our business that is has this nonprofit heart that says this is an investment in people. But at the same time, I do want people to know we are not your, you know, granddaddy's nonprofit. 
This is a different model that is using different techniques. You know, I've worked at various different nonprofit organizations or projects over the years. And, you know, there's a system and there's a certain way that nonprofits operate that I believe is is somewhat archaic. And part of that is due to the lack of using technology in their processes, not only in managing their data, but also in collecting data from the people they serve, from how they administer their programs and making them more engaging in a more technology-driven day that we're in now. So what I was really excited when I sort of did my research as when I was looking to start this company, I was really excited when I came across the social enterprise model because I thought now that is going to bridge my experience working as an Apple employee for a few years and and running a web design and creative agency for 10 years on my own and my heart and passion for nonprofit and social justice. There's, there just has to be a happy medium. And I think throughout our culture, I think balance is something that trans people are going to be able to reflect to the rest of society, but also trans tech as a whole will be able to reflect that balance because I don't think in a nonprofit world that, you know, you should focus specifically on nonprofit strategies and the way that they do things, nor do I feel like in in corporate environments that they should always be focusing on profits. You know, there has to be this happy medium where you're focused on the people and the profits. I like what you said about the fact that trans tech is an investment in people. And I think that's something that a lot of, I don't want to say small business, but certainly I think nonprofit models and things like that have that problem where it's hard to get funding for particular things because, like you said, there's no sort of direct dollar to dollar return on investment. So people might think, oh, well, why would I sort of give my money to that if it's not? going to be economically, I guess, viable. Mm -hmm. Has funding really been a big issue with TransTech? You know, I think this is where I'm going to say it's, it's very relative in the sense that, yes, it has been an issue for us, but I think it's been an issue because we really launched in July. And, oh, okay. And so, yes, it has been an issue. And obviously, you know, I'm just going to keep it super real on this uh, podcast, but basically, oh, please do, please do. <laughs> but basically, you know, in the social justice movement, we talk a lot about intersections. And so, you know, being trans is one thing. And when you're talking about issues within the LGBT community, we've known that the trans has typically and historically been left at the bottom. Then when you factor in another intersection of race, me being black, it adds a whole nother layer where I've seen a lot of support for trans tech come, you know, uh, from all over the world, actually. But there are also these racial dynamics that play in where, you know, it's one of those things where when you were black, if you were to go for an interview and interview for a job, you know, you can't pull out the specific data that tells you that they didn't give you the job because of your skin color. But, you know, there's certain dynamics that you are aware of. That, that tell you that. And it's it's kind of the same thing here. I'm I'm treated a certain way by some of the industry that I think is underestimating me and underestimating trans tech. And I think overall has underestimated the trans community and what, you know, we can actually do. So we launched a campaign called 15K in 15 Days, and we had a very aggressive campaign to raise $15,000 in 15 days. And we recruited 
basically some of the top people in our community, Teek Milan, who is actually on our advisory board. He's a senior strategist at Glad Media. Dr. Courtney Ryan Ziegler, who you know, he's the founder of TransHack. He is also on our advisory board. And he helped us during this campaign raise money. Naomi Cedar, who's like a lead software developer in London, she has been just amazing to help us. So we had a, a lofty goal of 15000 in 15 days, but we ended up raising um, roughly 10000 a little over 10000 and which I think in the long run is incredible in 15 days to, you know, to raise $10,000. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and I've spoken to different foundations. I've spoken to different people. And what we're getting is that they want data, data, mm-hmm. data that we don't have because we, we are a pilot. You know, we, we've just started this. So, you know, I think we, we need to get connected to is to the dollars for people who would give us just to do this research, you know, to, to get the data. Because as trans people and, you know, me specifically, my path and my story has taught me a certain level of resiliency that I can do whatever it is that I want to do. It just will be on different levels. So like, say, for instance, as a singer and songwriter, um, I play keyboard, I play piano, um, I record my own music or whatnot. I didn't say I want to be a singer and, and base this off of some dream that being discovered on American Idol or having a certain level of record deal. I know that if I'm able to pick up my guitar and play at a local fair or one of these um, Chicago coffee houses or what have you, I'm able to do what it is that I love. And so I take that sort of same thing in with my passion for my work. I left a roughly $40,000 salary to start this company. So my security, my comfortableness of having a check to depend on every two weeks, you know, I threw out that, that out the window, but all to know that I can create value from any, really any place I feel. This is my Buddhist philosophy coming into play. But as long as I stick to what I value most, which is authenticity, which is productivity, which is leadership, courage, I have certain value keywords. And when those things aren't present, you know, I have to make some decisions in order to make sure that those things are present in my professional life and my personal life. Now, earlier you said that people want data? What's the specific data? Is it employment data? What is it that they're looking for? So what we have is what we call a minimum viable product. So Mm -hmm. we ideally trans tech could do workshops and have 25 people in them. We could have a workshop with 50 people online in one classroom. And I do want us to reach that point. But before we reach there, we have to almost like a scientific experiment, do this with a minimum viable product. So we have four apprentices that we enrolled. We originally were only going to enroll two because that's what we could afford. But what Mm -hmm. they want to know is how data-wise does this make a difference in someone's life? What is the point in us funding this? What are we giving money to? And the reality is, is that we're going to actually have data very, very quickly because our program has built in benchmarks that will give the apprentice and the person that is going through our program, it gives them immediate benefits. So the benefit is the fact that trans people, the data they're looking for is, okay, trans people have been left out of the workplace. How now are they getting jobs? Are they making a certain amount of money? That's some hardcore data there. However, this is this problem has been so unaddressed for so long that we've got to start way back 
before even getting that job. We've got to roll dial this way, way back and start with some conversations, start with some conversations around self-value, start with building some basic skills that they haven't been able to build because they haven't had access to education or employment structures that didn't violate them in some way. So the data that we're going to be able to provide right away is going to be, they're going to be able to have a resume that they can take into a job interview, not us showing them how to create a resume with the little experience they already have, but we're giving them experience to put on the resume and we're giving them portfolio samples. So when they work in our program, they're going to be creating business cards, designing Facebook cover art or Twitter backgrounds or helping us build client websites, doing different graphic campaigns, we're actually in the process of redesigning the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force's um, Online Organizing Academy. So nice. we have projects that they're going to be hands-on working on, and whatever they work on, they're going to be able to speak to in an interview. And that's the value, they that they didn't have anything, any experience to talk to before that would help them get that job. And we're paying them $10 an hour to do it. What do you hope to see for the future of TransTech? I know you just kind of started in July, but where do you where do you want this to go? Well, you know, I'm very careful of talking about that only because I've recognized that, you know, sometimes you tell people your vision and if their brain isn't big enough Mm -hmm. to conceive what you're talking about, they start working to dismantle that and tell you how crazy you are for, you know, thinking of such a big vision. But I am certain I am 100% certain because of the path that I follow has not been based on any conventional guidelines. It has been really me following the beat of my heart, me following my intuition and what I know to be true. And every time some situation happens to let me know, you know, that we're headed in the right direction. When I was in Houston, Texas in January for Creating Change, which is a large conference that's put on by the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, I met with trans organizations and leaders from around the world. And the conversation they all were having was around these economic disparities within the trans community specifically. And one thing I knew for sure was that I was running my web design business on the side for a long time. And I was the the way I was able to compete with other companies was I was hiring people from other countries that would do web development for me for $15 an hour versus $30 an hour. Mm -hmm. And so what I recognize here is an opportunity that I feel like the internet has been home for many trans people to be able to find a place where their identity is not invalidated. Online, they can create and and find communities and find friends and find people who respect their pronouns and their names. And I find a lot of trans people are just online, but they're not being engaged online. They're arguing over the T word, whether you should use tranny or not use tranny. They're getting caught up in fighting fights online when that's not where you know, the most impactful work is done in those conversations on those discussion boards. So my vision for trans tech in the big picture is to have trans tech be a global solution. Technology and the internet makes the world flat. We can find out about troubles in Egypt, 
in in a matter of moments uh where in in you know before it would take weeks months you know years to hear that kind of information so what i'm looking to do is to get the whole community involved in the discussion of how does technology empower us how can we use technology to further educate ourselves and how can we use technology to now employ ourselves which is going to lead to really what we think are sort of models of empowerment education employment we think that that's a recipe for entrepreneurship when you have tech skills and you can start to use those in a freelance sort of way you can start to be your own boss and create your own life but entrepreneurship doesn't start when you quit your job and decide to start a company entrepreneurship starts the moment you take that first job and you show your leadership and you show that there is a, a boss inside you here. How can people get involved and support what you're doing with TransTech? There are many, many ways to get involved. The first and most uh, important way for us right now is to donate. They can go to transtechsocial.org forward slash donate. They will find our donate uh, form and, and sort of video with more about TransTech. But basically what I'm really, what I'm going to have to start, I think, praying for too, is as much as I am reaching out to our community, what I really want from, from people is I want for people to join our, our sustainer program, our monthly sustainer program. And I don't care if it's $1. What I'm really wanting to see from the LGBT community is I get a lot of people when they hear um, our sort of elevator pitch around trans tech and what we do, people usually get goosebumps and they say, oh, my God, that's brilliant. Or, oh, I, nobody's doing that before. And I can hear that. And what I really want is that that financial commitment, because that's one thing. But, you know, to actually do this, we need actual dollars to do it. And every mm -hmm. dollar counts. So, you know, I would just love to see the trans person that, you know, doesn't make that much money or whatnot that says, you know what, I really believe in this program. This is great. I'm going to give a dollar a month, you know, just to see that I have a, a buy-in from people that they know, you know what, we believe in TransTech. You know, what you just mentioned there, I think, is is so important because with businesses like this, I think even with just, you know, starting out with small businesses, you really can't keep the lights on with platitude. No. <laughs> you know, like you have to have – operating funds in order to do the things that you need to do so you can not just continue your mission but also make this into a, a sustainable platform because like you said you know when you're just starting out nobody's really making money off of this no it's, you know, and, and we're investing in the people and the funny thing is is that i am very transparent around what is going on in the struggle because what i what i teach in our workshops i talk about carolyn mace's book anatomy of advanced energy of anatomy or something like that. And she basically talks about these different archetypes and we talk about prostitute archetype. And I love talking about the prostitute archetype because our community as a trans community, especially trans women of color, we are frequently stereotyped as sex workers and that, um, you know, we are all prostitutes. And the truth of the matter is, no, we're not all prostitutes. But the truth of the matter is, if we were, so what? If some of us were, so what? In the sense of, I am a very sex positive company. We we support trans women in, in any pathway because no path that a trans woman takes is easy. And what we believe is that, what I believe and what I uh, share with the rest of my 
apprentices and the people that I speak to in audiences and on campuses is I talk about prostitution as a something that is not just a physical manifestation, you know, because our society loves to point and say that this person is bad, but this person is good. When there's a, when you break things down, a lot of times we're doing the same things in just different ways. And so, you know, there's a lot of times people are prostituting themselves out in a marriage. You know, they don't really like the guy that they're married to or attracted to him, but he makes a certain amount of money and they get to live a certain type of lifestyle. Or you have someone who is prostituting themselves out to a corporation. The corporation stands for of against everything that they believe in maybe they're you know chick-fil-a or something and they don't believe in marriage equality but you know you're on the corporate level and you're making so much money and it, it pays that bill and the reality of the situation is you as long as you're making that choice consciously and you're not fooling yourself about what it is that you're doing then then that's fine that's sacred but when you when you because you know what your value is you're saying this is what my value is right now, and they're paying it, and, and that's fine. But when you're in a situation where you're not being valued, I don't care if that's sex work, if it's a marriage, or if it's a corporation, you need to have done the work enough to know within yourself that I'm worth more than this and that I can, you know, I can create value. So, And that's really hard, really hard for people to grasp so I demonstrated that within my own sort of venture to say, okay, I don't have a boat tied to this dock, but I'm going to jump. And I'm going to jump because I know my value. At this point in time, in this position that I'm in, I don't feel like my value is has been noted and is being used. And therefore, I'm going to use my value myself and create more value myself. And that is something that no book can give you that is something that no it's something that only comes from the experience of having someone devalue you you know and then having to advocate for yourself and speak up and say no i know my value and this is what i'm worth and i'm going to go after what i'm worth now before you've alluded to your your path you know talking about your your life path and there's a couple of things that you mentioned about being a singer songwriter being an apple employee also doing, I guess, freelance design work for 10 years. Uh-huh. Let's start there. How did you get, I guess, started with uh, in design? I was, so I was living in South Florida and I was in this relationship with a man who was pretty much calling the shots. And my life did not have the level of visibility or, excuse me, of authenticity that I desire. I was with a man who enjoyed the passability of me. I'm, as a trans person, I have the privilege to be able to use whatever restroom I want to use and, you know, walk throughout society without having any sort of problems. Um, and so my ex really enjoyed that because nobody really ever questioned him or his sexuality. But it kept me into a bubble and I wasn't able to be myself fully the work that I do now is heavily involved in the trans community. I would not be able to do that type of work with him. And so I was desperately trying to find my place in where I was in South Florida. And, you know, it was hard for me to find work 
in South Florida, in the neighborhoods we lived in, because I ultimately seek authenticity on the job. I, I, you know, when other people are talking about their husbands or their kids or somebody did this, you know, I'd love to be able to have the freedom to talk about a pageant that I was in or, you know, Mm -hmm. some cause that I believe in or whatever the case is. And so I really had trouble finding employment, sustainable, I should say, employment where I could you know, authentically be myself. So I turned to the internet and I realized that I was always very techie. I could put together VCR all the time, you know, blindfolded or something. But I came across a website, lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. And if anybody out there listening gets a a trial membership or something, tell them Miss Ross sent you, Angelica Ross, I get credit for that. But um, I love lynda.com because they were, for me, the lifeline I was going to college at Florida Atlantic University up until my junior year. I had a 3.8 GPA, but I just could not afford to finish school. And so I turned to lynda.com to teach me. I was studying like um, creative writing and and pre-med in college. And then I I decided, you know what, to change all that and learn technology, learn something cool and fun and design and appeal to the techie side of me, but I had no formal training in it. And so when I went to lynda.com, I found a video tutorial library that would start me from the basics of knowing nothing and teach me everything that I needed to know. And the memberships are like $25 a month. So I spent months watching how to do HTML, how to do CSS, Photoshop for beginners, how to work with databases. And then I eventually started working through WordPress and a lot of the content management systems like Joomla and Magento and all of these different website platforms that are very, very customizable. And I use that as a way in to get clients to build websites for them. I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning. There was a huge high learning curve. I charged $250 to build a website. And I, and yes, and I would, yes. (laughs) And I would stay up until two o'clock in the morning, beating my head against a wall because some code is conflicting or just why is this not working? You know, only, and all of that was amazing education and experience for me because what I learned was not only how to code better and how to do certain things, but I also learned the capacity of my expertise and my skills, my strengths and my weaknesses. What I learned was I am better at the bigger picture, at the creative direction, at the vision, at project management, at delegating tasks, at um, you know, sort of keeping people and communicating via email and across time zones to make sure everybody's working on the same page. So what I realized is I didn't have to beat my head up against the wall to three o'clock in the morning because I couldn't figure out this PHP code. I could hire someone from Pakistan or from Thailand or wherever to do it at an affordable rate and save my and get more sleep and wake up the next morning and work on the next project. Right. So I guess you you say you started out 10 years ago and you sort of have kept it going. From there, are you still doing freelance work or have you now just sort of fully shifted over to trans tech? Yes. So what has happened is that I have always done trans tech for 10 years and, and have had several clients 
that I've serviced. And depending on what was going on in my life, I would take more or less clients, which, you know, again, is the beauty of, of freelance. And back in 2013, early 2013, I got a call and heard about this job at the Trans Life Center in Chicago for someone to be an employment program coordinator and basically develop a new program that is employment programs geared specifically towards trans people. And so when I took that job, I took less clients in order to, you know, do that job more fully. And what I realized doing that job was that, you know, I'm not a social worker and God bless, you know, social workers because they they have a very hard job to do what they do. But there's also, for me, I needed this technology aspect. There was this entrepreneur there. There was this educator there that was not really fully in play in that position. And so mm-hmm. basically, I still had clients. I still had a client going on, and we're still serving. After leaving that job, I just started accepting more clients. So what we're doing with Trans Tech is I'm bringing my clients into Trans Tech. Oh, nice. Yes. And so basically we have decided to split our model, just like we have the nonprofit model and the sort of for-profit side of our business. One side is pay what you can. So we have clients that will come to TransTech and they will need a website or they need a flyer or they need certain things. It's like when you go to a beauty school and you get your hair colored, you're getting it colored cheaper because a person is learning, you know, to uh, to do hair. So they they charge you less. Same thing with the apprentices for certain people who qualify and the people who qualify are very small nonprofits, trans people of color who are doing their thing. Um, we have like I have one girl named Casey Ortiz who's she's a local trans uh, rapper and she she hustles she works hard she creates her own, you know her own music she writes her own beats she records she performs like and she's just being trans and being trans woman of color you know she's not getting as much attention as if you know she was white or if she was not trans and, and different things so people like her can come to us and get a flyer done for whatever she can pay ten dollars or whatnot. However, our more commercial clients, larger nonprofits, you know, LGBT business owners and stuff like that that are not nonprofits, they can come to us and they can get work done. And I myself will be the creative director along with more seasoned designers and coders. And Mm -hmm. the apprentice will still be able to learn because they'll watch us as we work on those projects as well. And they'll be able to be involved in the client meetings and stuff like that as well. So I know there's always a lot of talk in the design and the tech industry about diversity. There needs to be more diversity. Ah, and you yes. have these these large companies that come out with their, you know, rather – I don't want to say appalling, but rather paltry numbers when it comes to diversity. You'll see, you know, single digits when it comes to, you know, black people, Latino, et cetera, things like that. And And while diversity is important, I think across the board – I think what's also very important, and this is something that you sort of touched on earlier, is inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing to sort of have, you know, the diverse workforce to have the kind of united colors of Benetton, you know, workplace that you want. But if the people that are there don't feel comfortable being themselves, being, you know, showing up fully to work, you know, then you have a problem too. Because I think that, you know, breaks down with, with corporate culture mm-hmm. and, and things like that. What is your kind of opinion on that within the the design community? Are there ways that that we can work on changing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. This, what you just like alluded to and talked about for me, breaks down to some very underlying issues, which is, you know, there's really not a value for other cultures. When you bring diversity into a workplace, a lot of times what a lot of companies really want and really mean is they're looking for that person from a different culture who has learned to assimilate most to white American culture. So those who are the, at the cream of the crops in, in each of these, you know, different, you know, ethnic backgrounds or whatever you see, I see a lot. They've learned to manage their cultural identity in a way that is less threatening to corporate culture. And where I feel that there needs to be a courting or more involvement in the actual cultures, not and an appreciation for what different cultures bring to the table. It's sort of how, you know, society, we have Black History Month, you know, the, that one month and we have, you know, mm-hmm. Latino month and we have different things or whatever. But there needs to be, especially in corporate culture as well, recognition of the contributions that people from various ethnic backgrounds have made to design and technology, especially in design Cultures have been creating art from the beginning of time. And Mm -hmm. so when we talk about in the design world where we are coming up with client ideas, brands and strategies and whatnot, why not look to the various pool that we have of cultures and and ethnic design to and, and it's a way to, again, bring the culture more in than bringing a person that you want to mold into, you know, your corporate culture. So I think that's that's one side of that issue. The other side is that I think that people need to also remember and recognize the flexibility that careers and education in tech and design bring us. We know that the reality is, yes, you can go to a four-year school and get a degree and, you know, learn some great things and do well. But we also know that for those who are determined, for those who are really passionate, for those who are willing to work, that there's a path of teaching yourself. And But that path of teaching yourself, what's missing a lot of that time is mentorship from those who have done it before or those who have experience within more conventional structures. So the solution here, I think, is if anyone, especially LGBT, but if anyone calls themselves interested in diversity, and if anyone has is saying that they're making a real commitment to diversity, then the real step of action would be to open up your world for as long as you can. Open up your world for one day, for a six-hour day, and let someone who is diverse learn from you. Learn in the ways that we know technology supports in this freelance way. Have them as almost like an intern. Part of the time, maybe they're like we're doing. They're watching videos on lynda.com. Why recreate the will? Pay for right. pay for them to have an access to a lynda.com account so they can learn the basics that you think that they need to learn and the other things they can learn from you in that space. For that kind of internship, obviously I would prefer for those who can pay because for trans person especially, 
who has experienced challenges with employment, that means they're also experiencing challenges with homelessness. How do you keep an apartment or home when you're not employed or making money? You know, or, and how do you eat and how do you do these things? So the more support that they can provide for that person to show up for that opportunity, the better. And then during that opportunity, if you can pay them, great. But even if you can't pay them, what you're giving them is something very valuable to talk about in a job interview and, and to tell that next person that I am valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you're saying, there's value really in just in just showing up. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Showing up, and, and even the, the gestures that you're talking about, if you think about it in terms of, I would say, the average, I'm using air quotes here, but the average tech worker, something like that is a pittance to them. Absolutely, That's, absolutely. It can... You know, it's it's nothing to sort of pay it forward in that kind of way. So speaking about mentorship, have you had any mentors that have helped you along the way? I have, yeah, tons of mentors. I have tons of mentors. I believe in mentorship. Mentorship is a part of my um, spiritual belief as well. I'm, I'm Buddhist. And so in my, the sect of Buddhism that I practice and in uh, many, most of the Buddhist philosophy, it's on this mentor disciple relationship and the rest of the reciprocal nature of it. And I take that into my professional life as well. I know that, you know, for the longest time for trans people and especially for trans people of color, it was very hard to find role models and people that were like you who had the mindset that you did because when society so clearly communicates to you, that you have no value as a trans person, that your only value is in sex work or being my entertainment, you start to believe what your limitations are. And so it was very hard for me to find someone who was thinking beyond those limitations. And for the longest time, I was the, for me, I was my own, you know, sort of mentor and role model. And I used people like Oprah and India Ari who were spitting out messages that were so universal, you couldn't help but find yourself in those messages. And I considered Oprah like a foster mother, you know, for a lot of the lessons that I learned from her. And Indiari, I consider a sister who is someone I finally got to meet in person two years ago. And I still keep in contact today through email. Her music and things around self-acceptance and loving yourself and your skin that you're in. And, you know, her last album, Just Do You and just breaking the shell and all, all of her messages have really helped me to look past all of the challenges and the barriers that are in my life and know from a really deep place that I am worthy and that I'm capable. And then I eventually met people like Janet Mock who, for me, I was like, where have you been all my life? Um, and, and we've been friends ever since that we met. And Because when I first, as a child, I told my parents I wanted to be a writer. And they told me, "There's you can't be a writer. There's no money in that. You're black, so you're gonna, the only way you're going to succeed is to get into business and call the shots yourself. And obviously some of that rubbed off because I'm CEO of a business now. But I also, Janet, people like Janet, have helped me to realize how powerful my voice is and my story is. And she's helped me become a better writer. She's helped me to know that it is possible for me to release this book that's inside me whenever that happens. You know, people like Dr. Courtney Ryan Ziegler, you know, is a huge now mentor of mine because of all the work that he's doing in the tech industry. And I know that he's dealing with a lot of the same 
barriers I'm dealing with when it comes to race, when it comes to being trans. You know, when you're a black person leading an organization and talking from a place of authority to, to say, I know what I'm talking about, or this is what our mission and our value is. Sometimes people take a default position of intimidation and of wanting to like knock you down a peg just because you have the agency or the audacity to speak from a place of authority. You know, and I find that like even Beyonce, Beyonce, I live for Beyonce. And what I'm finding is whenever I see strong black role models, especially strong black female role models, the world cannot take it. Like Beyonce's haters, Oprah's, <laughs> Oprah's haters, right. they show me they show me a lot because how do you hate on someone who exudes that much excellence? We're not saying that they're perfect. We're celebrating that they have chose to be a slave to their passion. Like Oprah is a slave to her passion. Beyonce is a slave to her, her artistry. There's nothing she won't do for it. And that is what we should respect in people, not people who are willing to change. I mean, again, change is good, but there's a certain level that is based on approval. And and that's not what I, I didn't get into transitioning into more of myself. As I say, I don't really say I'm transitioning into a woman. Um, I am a woman. What I'm doing is transitioning into more of who I am and who I was meant to be. But when you do that, just like Beyonce, just like Oprah has done, that is, I think that shows other people the lack of what they've done in their own lives, that you're focusing on so many things, you're distracted. Instead of being distracted by what someone else is or isn't doing, how about being a slave to your own, and I I don't want to use the word slave, let me find a better word, but how about finding some discipline? you know, in your own life to make your own dreams possible. Because I think that's when people get destructive in their lives is when they don't have mentors and role models, you know, to show them that things are possible and they start believing that this dream that I have, I'm not able to make it, you know, there's no way that I'm able to do this. And they, they start doing things other in another direction that really is killing their spirit. And it shows up in the, in the way that they encounter different people. So and I can go on and on about that. But basically, my mentors have mostly been people on television and, and people I've been able to read about in books until those real life mentors showed up like Janet Laverne, you know, my roommate, Jen Richards, Dr. Courtney Ryan Ziegler, a lot of these trans people out there who are breaking barriers and, and really being pioneers at it. What's the most important thing that you've learned from your work? The most important thing that I've learned from my work is that I'm always learning. And the most important thing is that, you know, as I'm building this business and I'm positioning myself as an educator and a a facilitator, facilitating these workshops and, and sessions, what I'm recognizing is even as I teach, I absolutely simultaneously, actually, as I, as I teach, I'm learning myself and that, Every single situation, encounter is an opportunity for me to learn more about myself, about my strengths, about my weaknesses, but also to be more aware of what is needed in any given moment. I think that technology has been 
I think, uh, sort of wrongly villainized for the way that people use it to disconnect. Mm-hmm. But I want to show through my work and through the work of Trans Tech is how technology can make us more connected. And for those who, you know, just have no connection, like many trans people who have had no connection to community, technology has been that piece to provide connection for them. So I think overall, this has taught me not to see anything one way, to always sort of see things in a very three-dimensional way that things aren't always as they seem. There's always probably a solution or a way out, even when you, th- mm-hmm. even when you think that there isn't. Now, you mentioned earlier being a, a singer-songwriter. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I've been playing piano ever since the fourth grade. I've been in musical theater since the first grade, church choirs. Uh, I grew up in the church choir. So I taught myself to play piano by ear. And then um, a few years back, probably 2008, I picked up the guitar. But I have, my background is in church choirs mostly, and Unfortunately, I had like sort of a sever from my spiritual foundation. Like many trans people and many LGBT people, we've been sort of shut out by the churches, told that we're sins or that we're going to hell and all these things. But And it left my gift displaced in the sense that I've always recognized my voice, my singing, my music as a spiritual gift. And when I was kind of kicked out of the church, it had no context. Mm -hmm. My gift sort of had no context. And what is beautiful to me is that it regained context throughout the journey of my life. Because as a musician, as a songwriter, as an instrument, you are always that. And so it is life that is the wind that comes through the instrument that creates the notes. And so everything that I've experienced, good or bad, has created music, the experience. So my ex, when I was in a relationship with him, we would have an argument. And, you know, shortly after the argument, I'd start singing. And he would get so upset at me, like, we just started arguing. Why are you singing? You know, and it's because I cannot help but express my life in musical terms, especially when things get to a boiling point, meaning when I am so overjoyed, I can't help but make music. When I am so in so much pain, it leaks out in chorus, you know, and that's where some of my strongest songs have come from. And so like now I've recognized it to be a part of my self-care as a musician. Running this business can be very taxing. The financial challenges of it can have been very uh, taxing. And it has brought me to a few places where I can say, like, I was broken down. Like, I just, it broke me down. And as soon as it broke me down, I started humming. And then I hit, I, I sit, I drag myself somehow to the piano and I get it out. I get it out on the piano. And then I'm, I'm able to realize that music teaches me that you can make something beautiful out of a painful experience. And so like when I sing certain songs, even though the lyrics may be painful, you know, to me, it's a beautiful song and I'm able to, to sing it and to look at it from sort of a distance, not wrapped in the pain, but see how beautiful my tears are sometimes. And to, and that's where you get to appreciate, you know, the joy and the pain. And, and you get to this place where you count it all joy. It's like the spiritual saying. Where do you see yourself in the next, like, five years or so? 
I definitely, I, I honestly, again, I tell you, I refrain from saying that only because some people think I'm crazy. But, you know, I honestly see myself running Trans Tech as a global initiative. I see myself entering into a worldwide conversation. I think people like Gina Rosero, who is who founded Gender Proud, she has this initiative. She wants to, you know, get on the UN and speak to the UN around gender options that basically no one has to go through any invasive surgeries or have to go through any hoops really to prove to you that I am who I say I am. If I am transgender and I say that I am a woman, then then believe me and, and support me in that way. In the same way that she's sort of having this global initiative, you know, I, I know and, and I know it from the conversations that we've had, but I know that this is a global problem and I know that technology can be a global solution. And I see myself as being one of the people who is helping usher that in. All right. Well, just to wrap things up, where can our audience find you online? They can find me personally online at MissRoss.com. That's M-I-S-S-R-O-S-S.com. Yes, I can't believe I have that domain either. <laughs> and for the work, they can go to TransTechSocial.org. And if you want to listen to some music, you can find my music you can find my music on MissRoss.com, but you can also find it at ReverbNation.com forward slash Angelica Ross. All right. Sounds good. Angelica Ross, thank you again so much for taking time out of your day for this interview. I know you have a crazy busy schedule, but I think that it was really great for people to learn more about the work that you're doing and just about your personal journey as well. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Angelica Ross and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to thank our sponsor MailChimp as well. MailChimp sends over 10 billion emails each month. Wow. Send better email by visiting MailChimp.com and signing up for a free account. So, our big announcement. The big announcement is that Revision Path now has a new sponsor, Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you powerful, easy-to-use tools to manage your domain. They even have this free valet transfer service that lets you move your domains over from another registrar. I'm not going to name any names here. I've done the service before. It worked really well. Also, they have free Who Is Privacy. And what free Who Is Privacy is, uh, what it does is it masks your address and your phone number and your email address from Who Is searches. Normally, you have to pay for that. You have to pay extra for that. Hover gives it to you for free. Now, I've been a Hover customer for years now, and I am just so glad that they are supporting Revision Path and our mission. So starting with next week's episode, there's going to be a special promo code that you can use to save on purchases with Hover. Make sure you thank Hover and show them some love and use that promo code as much as you can. Now, the second announcement is the winner of the $50 Amazon.com gift card for my review contest. The winner is Tilden Jones. Now, Tilden left a review on iTunes. Tilden's review says, Very insightful and inspiring interviews about the diverse accomplishments and achievements of black graphic and web designers. Revision Path brings to light perspectives, opinions, and views about design and its issues that are rarely seen in mainstream publications. Damn. Uh, thank you so much, Tilden. Wow. 
that gift card is on its way. Thank you again so much for leaving that review. Now, speaking of reviews, we asked you all last week to send in your comments about Revision Path. Here's what some of you had to say. Mike Finch says, I just stumbled on Revision Path, a showcase of black designers by Maurice Cherry. Major props to such a rad project. Thanks, Mike. Renee Stevens left us on Facebook. She says, keep up the great job on the podcast. Listening to the podcast as someone new wanting to enter the field has been so beneficial. You've turned me on to AIGA and so many more helpful tips. Thanks for all of your hard work. Thank you, Renee, for listening. Michael Rain, courtesy of Twitter, says, It's becoming my routine to start my day listening to your podcast. Wow. Thanks, Michael. And Donald Wooten, uh, my co-panelist back at WMC Fest a few months ago, had this to say, Thank you for the consistent work you put in shining a spotlight on overlooked and unacknowledged talent. Thanks, Donald. And, you know, that's really what the goal is with Provision Path. You know, it's showcasing talented, underrepresented designers and developers. Telling their stories and learning about the paths that they've taken to get where they are is at the heart of Revision Path, and that's why I do it. And while I say this is why I do it, please believe that Revision Path is not about me. Uh, the more stories that I can share, the more change we can really make in this industry when it comes to diversity. And I don't just mean at major Silicon Valley companies like Facebook and Twitter and their single-digit U.S. workforce members. I'm not talking about that. I mean all over the world, small businesses, conferences, magazines, websites, podcasts, you name it. You know, we're not just talking to the same five or six dozen people when we interview folks here at Revision Path. And every week you're hearing from someone new and hearing their story. And I get emails from people who say that Revision Path has helped them find more people who look like them in these industries. People have found mentors and people to look up to. People have found jobs. Hello, money. And they've learned about new disciplines outside of the typical web design and web development roles that we might know. So again, thanks to all of you for tuning into the Vision Path Podcast. Checking out the website and just sharing it with other people. As you can see, it really, really does make a difference. Now to end things off, like I always do, Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the podcast and the work we're doing here, then let us know. Head over to revisionpath.com forward slash donate, leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level and show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.